Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. Today, Pastor John is going to be preaching from Luke 17, verses 11 through 37. We all desire to be healed, don't we? But what does that mean to a believer in Christ? But before we begin, be sure to like and subscribe and follow our channel. We'd love to have you along for the ride. God bless you. Okay, now you can turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 11 through 37. And, uh, you know, I asked Mark to read a very specific uh, passage of Scripture for you this morning about Jesus going to the pool and the, the guy sitting there by the pool, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Well, uh, Jesus is not looking for information. It, 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 this, is not, this is not a question he's asking. He's saying, you really want to be healed, maybe you could do something better than hope somebody throws you in this water, okay? I had a similar experience with a different outcome several years ago. I was going to another church, and I've suffered all my life with chronic back problems. had an accident when I was 19 years old, and so every now and then my back goes out. And, and, and Kelly and I were at some missions conference uh, down in Alexandria, and the, uh, the third night of the mission conference was healing night. And I, I went in, I, I'm not thinking about it, personally needing healing or anything, but as they began making calls, the guy on the, on, the, on the stage says, well, I know some of you have back problems, and why don't you come forward? And I said, well, why don't I go forward? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out. And so I get up there, and you know, there's a line of people, and he whispers, and what is that, chronic back problems, 19 years old, blah, blah, blah. And he says, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed for me. It was a powerful prayer. He's banging me in the head and doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, then he looked at me and he said, are you healed? And it was a question. And I didn't know how to respond. I said, well, you were the one who said the prayer. <laughs> you know, is, I, so I walked away and I wasn't. I wasn't healed. Now, just prior to asking me if I was healed, he said, do you want to be healed? And, yeah, while I'm here, I came up to the call, you know, do I want to be healed? So these are questions that, that come through our mind from time to time. I mean, we, you know, we, we know people are sick. Sometimes we're sick. Uh, do we want to be healed? Well, yeah, well, yeah we want to be healed. And, and the big question that we all are going to have to answer today is, are you healed? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say, are you healed? So my sermon title today is, do you want to be healed? And anybody who wants to be healed, raise your hand. Amen. We all want to be healed. Amen. Question is, are you? Are you? So Jesus has been talking to his disciples, talking about living in the kingdom. He's talking to the Pharisees as well. There have been a number of surprises along the way. Uh, some people are surprised that they're not in the kingdom. They thought they were in and they're not. Some are surprised. Some of them are astonished at who Jesus says is in the kingdom. So, and, and what we find out and what he's trying to teach us is it's not by birthright. It's not even the good works that we do that get us in the kingdom of God. No one has a particular franchise on God. You don't have to be a particular thing or a particular way or a particular color or nationality or anything. The kingdom of God is available to everyone, all peoples. That's the name of our series is God's love for all people. 
So what qualifies someone to be in the kingdom of God, what qualifies anyone to be in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, is faith in Jesus Christ. And he keeps on demonstrating that as we go forward. Those people who have faith in him, something miraculous happens. Sometimes they're healed, sometimes they're delivered, sometimes their hearts are changed. But whoever expresses faith in Christ has a transformation that they go through. We're watching that happen with the disciples, aren't we? I mean, they're a bunch of fishermen, uh, tax collectors, sinners, yeah, uh, you know, they're, and, and they're changing right before our eyes, and we haven't even had the advent of the Holy Spirit yet to help us, as, as we saw in our catechism. So faith in Christ is what qualifies you to be in the family of God. Now, the last time we were together in Luke, the question was, how much faith do you need? How much faith do I need? Do, do I need to work up enough faith to believe in Christ enough so that God can look at me and say, okay, you're in the kingdom? And, and of course, that led to our question for that day, but I don't have that kind of faith. And when we start asking these questions about how much and, and whether or not I believe enough or whether I'm not sincere, we all come up short. We all know what private thought lives that we entertain. We all know what's in our heart, and we all know that that's not enough to earn God's love. So, I don't have that kind of faith. Yet, what we found out in that passage is that you already have everything you need. God has given each of us who call upon Jesus Christ as Lord, each of us who recognize Him as our Savior, each of us who have confessed our sins and repented and turned away from Him. He's given us all a mustard seed of faith. And that's all we need. We, we, we exercise that little bit of faith that He's given us we trust in Him. We do what He tells us to do. And He moves mountains. He renews hearts. He gives eternal life. Now, we need to understand, amen, it's not us who moves the mountains, right? It's not us who transforms people. We'd like to. I mean, we'd like to change the people around us, wouldn't we? We'd like to make them more like us except we fall short. So it's the Holy Spirit that changes people. That's what we're seeing in all these narratives here. And it all happens based on that little seed of faith that God has planted in each one of our hearts who believe in Him. So today, Jesus is going to give us another demonstration of what living in the kingdom is going to be like. And it tells us, it, he, he tells us that when the kingdom is going to come. Now, I like that because I have, a, <coughs> I have a lot of friends, and I used to be one of them that used to be fascinated with when the kingdom was going to be here. Oh my gosh, they're doing something on the Temple Mount, it's close. Oh, the kingdom is going to be fantastic. You, I can hardly wait till the kingdom is here. And, and, so, and there's even a whole theology based on this, isn't there? The kingdom now theology. Uh, this is going to sound a little close to that, but it's not. It's not. Jesus is going to tell us in this passage 
when the kingdom will be here. But we won't share that till next week. <laughs> so our passage comes in, in, in two uh, previews of the kingdom here. Uh, we'll see the cleanse of the kingdom in verses 11 through 19 today. And then next week we will see the coming kingdom, uh, part two, in verses 20 through 37. So gird yourselves for both of these. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at this cleansing kingdom. Uh, verse 11. Uh, now Jesus with the disciples. There's still crowds floating around. Uh, he's in the last part of his ministry. He's headed to Jerusalem. And it, it says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, note the location here. Uh, he's, he's headed to Jerusalem. But he is along the border of Samaria and Galilee. This is a little bit odd. Why is he, what's he doing here? Let me show you where he's in. They were up at Caesarea Philippi, uh, up to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, it's about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. That's when he made the turn. Uh, Jerusalem is further south. The normal route he would take would be right along the Jordan Valley. Uh, fairly direct, right? And he'd get down to Jericho and then go west and he'd run right into Jerusalem 20 miles from there. But where he is, is nowhere near that path. So he's near the dividing line between Galilee and Samaria. So he's not taking a straight route to Jerusalem. So <clears throat> I read, read one commentator that said, oh, maybe he's afraid of going to Jerusalem because he knows what it's going to be. I don't think he's afraid of anything. I think he had something that he wanted to do. I think there are things that he wants to show us on his way to Jerusalem that are important for us to understand who he is, character and nature of God, and what God's plan of redemption looks like. So he's going where he has to go to make this happen. But he is headed there. And the region that he's in right now would be populated by Jews and by Gentiles and by Samaritans. Now, if you know anything about the history of Samaria, you know that the Samaritans were not well regarded by the Jews. Matter of fact, most people would have questioned why Jesus was in this region because for a Jew to go from Jerusalem to uh, Galilee, he would, he would go around Samaria rather than through it. This is the second or third time we've seen Jesus near Samaria. So it says here, verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Did you catch that? Social distancing? First century AD? <laughs> We've got nothing new going on here, right? So leprosy back then was not the same as we see it today. Uh, you know, it, it, actually, we see it a little bit more seriously. Uh, but it was any variety of skin diseases could have been uh, it, it could have been psoriasis, ringworm, lupus, several other diseases. But whatever it was, the victims had to isolate themselves. They were in quarantine. I'm sure they had signs up all around town. <laughs> so these guys are social distancing. They're quarantining themselves. They're staying away from everybody. This is the law. It was taken, leprosy was taken very, very seriously back then. And you can tell how seriously it was taken just, just uh, because it's so contagious by looking at the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there are a total of 115 verses dealing with those people who have leprosy and what to do about it. 
So these guys, these 10 guys, they're in trouble. They're in a bad situation. And in verse 13, they said, and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now we need to understand their situation completely. That They're not just in trouble. They've been judged. They've been judged by their friends, by their families. By, they've been judged by the priests that they look up to. They have to walk through the town, if they get anywhere near the town, shouting, unclean, unclean. So the people know not to get anywhere near them. They're struggling. They have lost everything. And the other thing is that they are totally unable to help themselves. Somebody else has to, we'll get into this in just a little bit, but somebody else has to determine whether or not they're ever able to do these things again. And, and here they are. Jesus Christ has just wandered into their territory and they realize that he is their only hope. Unable to help themselves, Jesus is their only hope. That's us before we're saved, brothers and sisters. So they know who Jesus is. They call him Master. Somehow they're familiar with his teaching. Uh, Master is teacher. You know, they're not calling him Lord, but they recognize that he's got some authority to him. They've heard the stories and everything. And there's urgency in their voices. Even as they ask for mercy, their, their status is evident to everybody around them. They're asking for healing. And they're asking for it to be done now. They're not making a demand. They understand their situation. They're asking, they're requesting from Jesus a level of compassion that would comfort them, that would make them feel like they too are important to God. Except they're asking an individual who throughout his entire life has never really received compassion. He's been ridiculed. He's been mocked. He's been called a blasphemer. He's been called a liar. His family thought at times that he might be crazy. So they turned to him and they said, will you have compassion on us? Wow. How... How is Jesus going to respond? Having been oppressed his entire life. How is he going to respond to this this request for compassion? How would you? How would you respond to a request for compassion? I mean, we, we, I've had to ask myself this question for the last three weeks. I'm not oppressed. People aren't ridiculing me. To my face. I, I'm surrounded by a congregation that has incredible compassion. Shows incredible mercy. You guys have treated Kelly and I fantastically for the last 20 years. You know it's been that long? It's been an amazing 20 years, hasn't it? I can't even relate to the situation Jesus was in Yet there are times in my life when somebody approaches me and I know they deserve compassion that it doesn't flow very easily from me. Who's my model? I mean, I can give you a million different reasons why I shouldn't 
shed compassion on somebody, but who's my model? It's Jesus Christ. What does he do? Watch this. Verse 14. 14a, first half. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, he's asking them to do something really bold because they're not allowed to go anywhere. They're not allowed to go into the presence of a priest unless there's some indication that they've been healed. So what he is asking them to do is to exhibit a mustard seed of faith. He's not asking them to exhibit mountain-moving faith, just obedient faith. He's asking them to exhibit the faith that it takes to put one foot in front of another and start walking. He's not telling them how it's going to end. He's just saying, just just go. Can you do this? Can you go? Can you put one foot in front of the other and do what I have asked you to do? You call me master. Can you do this? Can you walk in the direction of the priests? And he sends them off before they're healed. Wow, do they really believe he's master? What happens? Well, you know, they do it. They just do it. They don't debate on how difficult it is or whether or not the outcome's going to be what they want it to be. They say, okay, he's our master. We know he has some level of authority that we don't fully understand. But he said to do this, so I'm going to do it. All ten of them. They walked towards the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Wow. Now, I want you to pay attention to the words here. So the, the word for cleanse comes from a, a form of the word katharizo. Uh, and it means they're made pure. Oddly enough, it means that they were made clean. They were made clean. So... Why does Jesus want them to go to the priests? I, 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 I think this is absolutely fascinating. The priests had the ultimate authority over determining whether or not they actually had leprosy and whether or not it was actually cleaned up. And it was actually fairly rare that leprosy got cleaned up. So back there in Leviticus 13 and 14, the priest would have to examine them, and he's looking for all sorts of abnormalities and everything. And if if they are declared clean, then they're clean. Now, the priest that Jesus has sent them to, watch this. They really haven't proved very trustworthy, have they? I mean, these are the people that are railing against Jesus Christ. These are the people that are condemning him. These are the people that want to kill Jesus Christ. And he's sending them off to them. How could he do that? How could he possibly send them off to these evil people? And I I think what Jesus is trying to say is, look, I have respect for the law. I have respect for the structure. I might not have much respect for the individuals that occupy those offices. But I know one thing that maybe everybody doesn't fully realize is that God has put them where they are. God has given us the structure that sits over us. 
and I want to obey my father, so I'm going to obey this structure. If you have any doubt about that, take a look at Daniel chapter 2. Write that down. Daniel chapter 2 when you get home, specifically specifically verse 21. So they all go. And the text infers that before they arrive at the priest, they are made clean. Catharizo. They're made clean. They're cleaned up. Then, verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, it's a different word, iome, a form of iome. It means cured. It means healed. Exactly. This is not catharizo. It's not clean. It's not just clean. They have been healed. They've been cured of their leprosy. The one guy no longer has it. And it becomes a life-altering moment for him. He has exhibited this little bit of faith. And the Holy Spirit has moved. Jesus has moved in his life. And everything changes. So, when, when one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Now, we, we don't know what's going on in the hearts of these, all these guys. We, we don't know what's happening in their hearts. And it would be unwise of us to judge them. So we've we got to be careful here. They are all just doing what they've been told to do, and all of them are doing exactly what the law tells them to do. The Samaritan had to go to his priest down in Samaria. The other nine could go to the priests that were there up in Galilee. Or move down to Jerusalem if they wanted to. They could do that. So they're doing what they've been told. And we see something in this one who turns back. He turns back. He's taking a few steps. We don't know how many. He might have walked a half a mile. He might have walked a day or two. All we know is he turned back. And, and this is what happens and in verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Wow. All of them are healed. All of them are cleansed. One guy, only one, seeing that he's healed, turns back and worships Christ giving glory to God. Now, this, the, the fact that this one guy is pointed out to be a Samaritan kind of infers that the others may be Jews. They may or may not have been. But the Samaritan is the most unlikely of that entire group to, number one, do the right thing, and number two, to worship Jesus Christ, who's a Jew. So he does the right thing, and before he does anything, he turns back and he gives glory and thanks to God. Here's a guy, I mean, haven't we been hearing throughout this entire narrative that we have to have our priorities right? He's got it. Before he does anything, he's going to thank God. Now in verse 17, Jesus answers when he does this and says, we're not ten cleansed. Now, now we're back to Catharizo. Okay, so we got catharizo, cleansed, eome, uh, cured. Is it, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, this is a slap in the face to the Jews. 
And it's another indication that there are those in the kingdom that are unexpected, that nobody, no, nobody believes that they're going to be there. That, that there are people other than Jews in the kingdom. It's also a hint that this Samaritan is more godly than the Jews. Now, this would be an insult. They would be offended by this. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because after he makes that statement of this godly man has turned back and recognized where his healing really comes from, he says this in verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So the Samaritan exercising that mustard seed of faith is not only cleansed, but it's made him well. Now, there's another word. It's a form of sozo. This is important. We saw catharizo cleansed. We saw yome cured. Both of those are physical manifestations of, of uh, the, what Jesus is doing in, a pe- in people's lives. But now we see sozo. This is a spiritual impact that comes upon this Samaritan. Soso appears 54 times in the Gospels alone. 14 times, it means deliverance from disease or demons. 20 times, it means the rescue of a physical life. And another 20 times, it means spiritual salvation. Spiritual salvation. Which one of these is Jesus talking about? I think Jesus has chosen his words very carefully. I think he's talked about being cleansed. I think he's talked about being cured. The CSB translates, the Christian Standard Bible, translates this phrase as, your faith has saved you. And if you ask me, I think Jesus means all three of them. I I think that Jesus is saying there, look at the impact that your faith, your gesture of faith, has had upon you. The faith has delivered him from disease, it has saved his physical life, and has brought spiritual salvation to him. Now, Jesus doesn't infer, again, we've got to be careful, he doesn't infer that the other guys are not grateful. He's not saying that. They may be, but they may not be either. Everyone else is just going to do what they're told, what they've been taught. They're doing what the law demands. We don't really know their motivation. What we do know is this. The Samaritan gives God the glory first. He knows where his blessing has come from. And for his worship, for his thanks, for his heart, which is towards Christ, he is saved. They've all been cleansed. They've all been cured. We don't know about the salvation of the other nine. We don't know. But we do know this one, this Samaritan is saved. So, katharizo, iome, sozo. Which one of those is most important? I know you know the answer. But depending on where we are in life, don't the other ones sometimes become more important? Depending on where, what our situation is, Don't we desire one more than the other at times? See, it's easy to place a high value on physical healing when we're suffering. Amen? It's just as easy to think when that physical healing doesn't come that God's not listening. 
I've prayed and prayed and prayed. I mean, I heard this recently about somebody who passed away. Hundreds of people praying for him. And he died. What happened? Why didn't God answer that prayer? Sometimes our priorities get askew. Which of those three is more important? I'll tell you something, the eternal gold that we find in our relationship with Jesus Christ is the ultimate healing. It's the ultimate healing of the consequences that we suffer for death and for sin. And Jesus has decided, Jesus has promised that we will be healed of that. Brothers and sisters, we want so-so. Because at that moment when we stand before the judge and we're all going to stand there, the only important healing that will be on our minds and our hearts is whether we've received Jesus Christ and given him thanks for what he's done in our lives. It's an incredible moment. And that healing is far more effective and far more lasting of anything that these lepers might have received or anything that you and I might have received before we stand before them. So there's the first preview of our kingdom, the cleansing kingdom. The, we, we know Jesus cleanses, but do we know everything that he's cleansed us of? Because he's making us perfect, brothers and sisters. We have been cleansed, amen. And we are being cleansed and prepared for that moment that we stand before our Father in heaven in glory. Any sickness we have, any suffering we go through right now, it's temporary. And it may cause, it may cause pain. It may cause anguish. But that pain and that anguish is temporary as well. We need to keep our eyes on the things that are eternal and receive the things that God has for us now. So Jesus is not going to ask us in an inquisitive manner, do we want to be healed? We've been healed. Those of us who call upon him as Lord have been healed. See, already and not yet. And he's not going to ask us, are you healed? He knows we belong to him. Think about these things. As we prepare ourselves to go to the Lord's table in communion, we have so much to be thankful for. And it's so easy for us to get waylaid about the things we don't have and at the same time be unthankful for the things that we do have. And the things that we have, brothers and sisters, if you're here today, if you have repented, if you confessed Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have everything that God wants you to have. And Jesus died so that we could have those things that are eternal. So we take a pause every now and then and recognize the sacrifice that he made for us. And it's a great time before we do that to, to bow your heads and remind yourself 
of all you have to be thankful for. It's so easy for us to be preoccupied by our situations. It's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by our circumstances from time to time. And it's so easy for us to put our eyes on those things that are material and forget to put our eyes on those things that are eternal. This is the opportunity to reboot that and say, thank you, Lord, for the ultimate healing that you've given me. Give me the strength to get through these situations that I'm in right now and help me to keep my eyes on you.